electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in last call, feeling the pain, earnings season off to a shaky start. Should you batten down for a downturn? Netflix taking a big leap against the competition, what they are doing ahead. Bill Ackman unleashed, the billionaire going after Harvard again and in a different way. They're here. The Iowa caucuses on Monday, but will the weather cause a new kind of problem? Get your house in order. The millionaire mansion tax in L.A. falling short, even as more cities look to do the same thing. And our NFL playoffs edition of Beat the Books and the heat is on to top Vegas as temperatures dive across America. We've got a big hour ahead, so turn the temperature up because last call is up right now. All right. Happy Friday, everybody. We are live here on Last Call. We're going to get to all that and more across the hour. But first up today, the risk of a widening conflict in the Middle East. Today, tens of thousands of Yemenis protesting U.S. and U.K. airstrikes on their capital. According to the Houthi group, the strikes killed five and injured six. They claimed damage to their infrastructure was limited. President Biden addressed the attacks with reporters this afternoon in Pennsylvania. We will make sure that we respond to the Houthis as they continue this outrageous behavior, along with our allies. Huh. A spokesman for the Houthis says the strikes will not go unpunished or unanswered. The U.S. Navy, meantime, warning American flag vessels to stay away from parts of the Red Sea for at least the next 72 hours. But despite this escalation, oil prices have only jumped a little bit. In fact, pretty much at the same price they were a couple weeks ago. Well, what could be in store over the long holiday weekend? Joining us now for more is Rapidan, energy founder and president Bob McDally. Bob, uh, thanks for coming on. I know it's a Friday night. I'm a, I'm a little shocked, as are a lot of other people I've talked to, that oil is still below 73 bucks. Why? Good to see you, Brian. You know, you have to understand if I disagree with the market's complacency. I mean, you had the Saudis atta- get attacked, uh, Abcake, 2019. Crude opened like 25, 20% up. And then the disruption was short-lived. Russia invades Ukraine. Crude roofs by 25% in a few months. No big disruptions. So, And we've had the Iranians attack tankers and this and that. The market is waiting to see physical disruptions of oil. And by disruption, not of shortcuts like the Red Sea, but of physical supply like Hormuz. That would be, uh, that would be a, a loss of supply. Red Sea is not a loss of supply. So the market is inured. It's... It's shrugging off these risks until it sees real disruption. So when you have something new like we had today, the United States and the U.K. fought back, something new, escalation. We had a little jump of 2%, but we ended down because the market just doesn't see that loss of supply yet. And until then, I don't think you're going to see a durable, meaningful risk premium in crude. Yemen is one of the poorest countries in the world, the poorest in the Arabic world. They get their money for these kinds of attacks from Iran I tweeted out earlier today that Iran's oil exports and thus their money to give to the Houthis to fire missiles against ships 
and sometimes our military is because Iran is printing money. The sanctions, they've been obviously very difficult to enforce. Bob, how much is Iran and its increased oil exports not just providing money for these conflicts, but also maybe keeping the price of oil steady? Because I'm not sure anybody thought that Iran would be over three, three and a half million barrels a day anymore. So Iran's uh, surge in exports in the third quarter of last year caught folks by surprise. Biden administration looked the other way. They had a lot of oil on the water and they sold it. Their exports surged. They since then have ratcheted back. The big surprise was the good old U.S. of A. Uh, U.S. Yeah. shale production was the big uh, surprise last year. But no, no question, those supply surges have helped kept a lid on oil. And look at the, the Biden administration today, uh, putting another three million barrels a day in the in the SPR in May. Another solicitation and tightening the screws on Russia that, with the compliance and the exports. So those low oil prices, partly in due to the higher U.S. production, a little bit of the Iranian production. Uh, is letting the Biden administration uh, crack down a little bit on some sanctions cheating by Russia and refill the SPR. Yeah, and that's it. In Brazil, we've talked about that as well. Brazil at more than three million barrels a day, probably going to four. Guyana, assuming Maduro and Venezuela don't start shaking things up down there. How do you expect the year to play out? Almost everything I've been reading, Bob, is kind of that the year will probably end around here, absent some big exogenous event. Yeah, it's not too exciting for barrel counters like me. Uh, we do see a sort of 70-ish, well-balanced market this year, absent geopolitical risk. But where we differ, I think, from the consensus, not about the year. The year is going to be a $70 year. Uh, demand growth is going to you know, fall by half from last year, but you got still some supply coming from the U.S., Brazil, et cetera. OPEC Plus is going to keep a floor. What I'm debating is the, is the near term. I think there's at least another $10 of upside, and I mean in the next few days to weeks. I think the market is, for the reasons we talked about, perhaps understandably but wrongly downplaying the risk that the uh, Hamas is yep. real war will, will disrupt supply. And that's an Iran issue. You got to watch Lebanon there, Brian. It's Lebanon and its potential yep. Israeli-Lebanese war that could uh, shake things up from, uh, on the oil front. Yes, and the, probably the hardest working man in, in D.C., Amos Hochstein, is there or going there. And I hope that Amos, who does most of this amazing work behind the scenes, is able to keep that peace. He's kind of the guy on the ground sort of running energy policy and uh, wish him Godspeed. Uh, Bob McNally, thank you. Have a good weekend. Thank you. All right, remember, folks, the Houthis were a terrorist organization that was declassified or certified as a terrorist organization in early 2021. All right, now to your money, because things are about to ramp up in the stock market as earnings roll out, and they did not get off to a good start. Delta Airlines, spooking investors by cutting its profit outlook. That took down Delta, and by the way, every other airline stock, United Airlines, fell 10% today. It's not just airlines, at least right now. J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, all reporting today and all closing in the red. Only Citigroup closed up, but that was because Citigroup said they're going to lay off 10% of their workforce. Hate to hear about anybody getting a pink slip, especially that many. Meantime, United Health did beat Wall Street estimates, but a surprise jump in medical costs relative to revenue sent shares down. So it's fair to say it's only like a day in, but it's not the best start to earnings. So what happens now? Joining us now is Veritas Financial Group managing partner and founder Greg Branch. Greg, you've been you've been bearish. You've been nervous for a while. Didn't play out last year. Uh, I would say you're getting a good start to this year. I'd say we're getting a mixed bag, Brian. And so, you know, even when you look across the banks, 
uh, what Bank of America said is, is probably very different uh, from the outlook some other banks had. Uh, the performance at J.P. Morgan certainly much different than the performance at Citi when you when you look through the earnings. And so I, I'm looking for a consistent message, and I'm not sure that we're seeing it yet. You know, we have some that are expressing optimism, and we have some you know that are expressing uh, more pessimism. The one thing that I found similar across the board, and, and I probably disagree with, is that all of the banks forecast uh, their net interest income opportunity decreasing this year compared to last. And they're doing that because they are using the market's projection, excuse me, for six or seven cuts. And as you well know, Brian, that's probably one of the, the primary areas where I differ from consensus. I, I don't see that many cuts, if any, uh, coming this year. But that was the one area where we saw a common theme emerge. Yeah. And I think that that's what's, what this earnings season but is going to here's, look like. Here's what made me nervous today. I'm not saying I'm nervous about the stock. Nobody cares what I think, by the way. <laughs> but I want to get your take on this, Greg. But thank you very much, Greg. Well, you're Princeton, man. I would assume you did. Um, you get a little bit of a Delta's warning cut, whatever you want to call it, was not that big. And United fell 10.5%. Now, if United fell 3%, I'd be like, okay, I get that. Talking about one-tenth of the value of United Airlines being whacked, which leads me to think, just in 26 years or whatever, doing this, that, man, investor positioning, I wonder if it was offside. I think you mentioned something that's the key to this. I don't know if it's the earnings report reports driving this. Right. And so you mentioned City, for example, where it certainly wasn't anything in the earnings or, or, or what the company said, but perhaps the restructuring. And so what I think is happening is there are other dynamics that are overpowering what the companies are actually reporting. And so what we still might be seeing a little bit here, Brian, is the breadth widening in the rallies, folks looking for those things that haven't participated, not necessarily a fundamental driven rally or a let's process these earnings type of rally, but what has lagged what's going to pick up, uh, and that might explain the airline. You know, the airlines are just starting to take pricing again. They were doing the heavy lifting in all of those previous inflation reports, and they're just starting to take some pricing again, yeah. which I would have thought would have been really encouraging. What, what it kind so of what it's the earnings. What, well, we got to go. What it kind of said to me is that investors are really, really willing and able to hit the sell button very quickly on just a sniff of an issue. Greg Branch, have a great weekend, my and man. And they should be. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. Greg Branch, thank you. Have a good weekend. All right, let's take a look at your stud and dud inside the S&P for the week. The big winner was Juniper Networks, up 25% because they're being bought, so we're kind of cheating there. The big decliner was Boeing. Speaking of planes, the 737 MAX incident, you know, window blowing out of the plane while it's 16,000 feet. Boeing down 12.5%, the worst week in more than a year. All right, we are just getting started. Up next, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, as Netflix fires a big shot against the competition, plus taking a hammer to Harvard. Bill Ackman laying out a stunning plan to take on academia. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. All right, let's get down to tomorrow's news tonight. First up, federal scientists are recommending the easing of restrictions on marijuana. According to the New York Times, a scientific review concludes that marijuana is, quote, neither as risky nor as prone to abuse as other tightly controlled substances with potential for medical benefits. As a result, scientists say marijuana should be removed from the most restrictive category of drugs. Next up, a potential milestone for supersonic flight. NASA and Lockheed Martin have unveiled their new aircraft. It's called the X-59. It's a supersonic jet that is designed to reach speeds faster than the speed of sound without creating a sonic boom. The X-59, assuming it works, could be a game changer in the future flight. Can you imagine going back to the future, flying coast to coast in, you know, just a couple hours? We had it with the Concorde. That went away. Maybe the X-59 will be the new, new thing. All right. Next up, the Supreme Court agreeing to hear a Starbucks unionization case that forced Starbucks to rehire a group of Memphis employees that were fired two years ago. Federal agency determined the employees were fired for supporting efforts to unionize. Starbucks says they were let go for violating safety policies. More than 370 Starbucks stores in America have voted to unionize during the past three years. All right, now to the media. And apparently many of you do not mind TV ads, no matter what you say because Netflix announcing major growth in its ad-based pricing plan. 23 million users now subscribe to Netflix with ads, an 8 million person jump in just two months. This comes Amazon Prime Video is set to default to an ad-based platform later this month with a $3 option to opt out. Netflix notching another gain and investors are loving it. Netflix up 50% in the past year. This is so many other media companies' stocks are performing worse than the debut of Waterworld. So is Netflix the new king of advertising? Joining us now, senior research analyst at Needham & Company, Laura Mart. Every, Laura, everybody says they can't stand it. I hate ads. I hate it. Apparently they don't. Definitely not, especially if it saves them 5 or $6 a month and it lets you buy another streaming service so you can have Peacock or you know Paramount Plus with that extra 5 bucks. So... People don't hate ads, actually. Yeah, they don't. Now, let me ask you for Netflix. Is it better if people, better for Netflix, I mean, Laura, from a stock and a revenue perspective, if people choose the ad-based platform rather than pay a few bucks more per month with no ads? It is. It's a lot better because all of these ad-based platforms have said they make more money on their ad tier than they do on their subscription tier because there's real price sensitivity for consumers to pay $12, $14, $20. But with ads, they can sort of increase the ad loads at critical times and suddenly and you can't do anything about it as a consumer because one hour you may have two ads and the next hour you might have 10 ads and you don't really know whether to cancel your service. So there's definitely more economics in an ad tier than there is a subscription tier. So they want I mean, they're going to this is, I guess, why Amazon is making this move that they're going to default to the ad based platform. You can opt out of it by paying more. But that's I might Amazon's not a dumb company, Laura. That's my guess is. That's why they're defaulting to this. 
Yeah, and Amazon's really clever because what Amazon's going to try to do is take TV advertising and link it to sales on Amazon. So that's really strong attribution about how their connected television ad units are driving sales of product on Amazon.com, which is a really valuable ad unit. Netflix can't do that, obviously. So it's a much more valuable ad unit that Amazon has when you're watching an ad there than anyone else because Amazon can tie it to a sale on an e-commerce platform. Yeah, and, and this is kind of the, listen, we've got Peacock. It's, it's our thing. We've got a football game on it, by the way. Um, are you surprised, though, at the rapidity of the growth for Netflix from 8 million, you know, eight, an 8000000 million person jump in 60 days is remarkable no matter who you are? Totally true, Brian, but it's being driven by password sharing, right? So these people oh. used to have it free, their password sharing with their parents or with their friends, and now they're getting cut off. So a lot of those people are coming into the ad tier because it's quite a bit cheaper than the than the subscription tier. And they're going from free. So they don't want to go all the way from free to 20 bucks. They're going from free to 13 bucks. Yeah, it's it's really incredible numbers and maybe why the stock has taken off by 50 percent. Laura Martin, always love your views. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you. By the way, a quick programming note. CNBC is live from Davos, Switzerland next week. It is the World Economic Forum. You're going to hear from the likes of Brian Moynihan, Jamie Dimon, Stephen Schwartzman, David Solomon, Ted Pick, and many, many more. Coverage begins Tuesday morning. All right, still ahead. Coming in hot, Bill Ackman unveiling a stunning plan to take on Harvard and academia at large. Can it work? This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. Here's something to keep on your watch list going into the weekend. Bitcoin, of course, the digital currency taking a steep dive just one day after a spot beat Bitcoin ETFs hit the market. Bitcoin was trading above 46,000 this morning. It's at 42.7 right now. Now it all comes. We get an update on that X account hack of the Securities and Exchange Commission. In a statement released just a short time ago, SEC Chair Gary Gensler wrote in part, quote, an unauthorized party gained access to the at secgovx.com account by obtaining control over the phone number associated with the account. Yeah, no kidding. While also stating, quote, there is currently no evidence the unauthorized party gained access to SEC systems. Gensler adds the SEC takes its cybersecurity obligations seriously. Commission staff are still assessing the impacts of the incident on the agency investors in the marketplace. In other words, he said nothing and we learned nothing. In the meantime, Bill Ackman's war against academia raging on today. He announced he is creating a new, quote, think and do tank. Here he is this morning. It started with anti-Semitism on campus. Uh, then, it, then I got concerned about governance at Harvard. Uh, not just the president, but when the board, in my view, didn't do the right thing. Uh, then I broader concerns about higher education generally. I'm standing up an organization very shortly to focus on precisely this. You know, we're going to study these issues, and we're going to come up with solutions to problems, and we're going to implement. 
Now, later on in the interview, Ackman went on to tart on a tangent, really accusing Harvard of basically cooking the books on their endowment. Listen to this. Apparently, they bought like a forest in the Amazon or from Brazil. And the, they included in their returns mark-to-market gains on the forest. Right. Right? But apparently, they relied on marks each year from the person who sold them the forest, kept telling them that it was increasing in value. Until they, at some point, right. that bad things happened, it blew up and went to zero, and they had to write it off completely. At that point, it was worth over a billion dollars. So the employees who were getting right. paid incentives based on the increased value of this forest uh, benefited, and then Harvard took a huge wipeout. That's never been disclosed publicly. Wow. Of course, we reached out to Harvard for a statement we have not heard back. So. Will Bill Ackman be successful in his campus crusade? Let's bring in our panel on this. This is Jimmy Petsukukas, columnist at the American Enterprise Institute and CBC contributor, and Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, CBC contributor, and a guy who, you know, teaches at a school that normally doesn't like Harvard very much. Jeff, good to, good to see you on. Brazilian rainforest cooking the books? Jeff, what, what's going on here? Well, I wish he had named the president uh, as somebody well-known, I believe, to CNBC viewers, but he didn't name him as well as the person who was the head of the endowment as someone who is uh, well-known to CNBC viewers. So hopefully he'll name some names later who did that. But the big issue here, Brian, is he's right in nailing this as a governance concern. There are others. There's a foundation of individual rights and expressions. There's a group called the Heter Heterodoxy Academy. Let's take a look at diversity of thought in, on campuses. He's bringing in a, a an activist perspective on the board, because there are big board failures at Harvard and elsewhere. There is a lack of diligence in hiring somebody unqualified for the job, a lack of responsiveness for people being hurt, brutalized, traumatized by the uh, discrimination happening there. The diminution of the brand value has really hurting the assets in a profound way. A lack of, uh, of responsiveness. They hired some law firm to beat up and threaten people instead of listening to legitimate critics. And then they change out the leadership without explaining what they're doing. So racial explanations came in to fill the void because the board's been quiet. It's the perfect opportunity for an activist to say, let's change out the board. And he has a slate of candidates. That's what activists do. Uh, and sometimes he's right. In this case, he's way more right than wrong. Yeah. And listen, Harvard's got kind of a weird structure with the Harvard Corporation, which is kind of their pseudo board, Jimmy. You know, but I have to say. And I have great respect for Bill Ackman. He's super smart, billionaire, right? More right than wrong in the, in the market. I did not have mismarking Brazilian rainforest valuations on my Friday bingo card. Well, apparently when you start to dig, uh, you find something. I, I just wonder how many other endowments at, at, at any number of probably poorly governed institutions, institutions where not a lot of people are looking at the books, I, I think what I would advise donors to do is think of themselves not as donors, but investors and care and ask questions. And if this group that he wants to start uh, is spread throughout our elite institutions and questions start being asked, I think that's great. Is it going to go anywhere, though, Jimmy, you think? I mean, uh, we know the goal. He's mad at the school. He was mad before. Then they came after. He was mad about anti-Semitism. Then he was mad about Claudine Gay. Now he's mad that they're coming after his wife. Uh, what's next? I mean, what, what, is he, what do you think would be the best outcome here for Ackman and maybe Harvard students? Well, I think, I think the best outcome for Harvard students 
uh, and students at a lot of universities is that there's a lot of donors who should think of themselves as investors whose eyes are open and take a more active role. Listen, this sort of matters for America. These institutions are important. They train many of our future leaders. Uh, they, they, they need to be in the business of discovering and diffusing knowledge, not any political agenda. And if they're going to do the latter instead of the former, then that's bad for America, that's bad for our economy, that's bad for our leadership in the world. We need them to do the former, be knowledge creators and diffusers. That's what made them great to begin with. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you're somebody who works in academia. I know you, I'm sure you love Yale, uh, and I love my college, and Jimmy probably loves his college. But you also realize there's things that are wrong with the organizations, whether they're the same or they're, they're different. It feels like we're kind of at a semi-watershed moment for, for big academia in some ways, or am I way overstating that? You're absolutely right. We're long past due, some accountability, and to break down the insularity, uh, there are awful practices. This plagiarism stuff with Claudine Gay is not subtle. 76 cases of it. And I spent a lot of time last night with one of the victims, someone named Carol Swain, who is a Vanderbilt uh, noted uh, African-American historian, who was egregiously ripped off. Uh, and you have to be accountable for this. The universities stand for truth. The academic integrity is fun fundamental. The anti-Semitism was very real. The, the fact that these students who are identified have still not been punished for brutalizing students on video on the campus, that, that's terrible. But I was on the board of the Association of Governing Boards, Colleges, and Universities, National Commission on Governance Reform. These are bigger issues that Bill's going after. In fact, I brought him to campus here twice in the last month, and we're bringing him in, I believe, with 100 college and university presidents in about 10 days here on campus to talk about these issues. Large schools, old schools, young schools, public, private, faith-based schools, large state institutions, Ivy Leagues, and I'll, I'll give you a report afterwards how it goes down, but I bet it's going to be a lot of veins bulging in the neck, pretty contentious event. You know, you you have uh, at Harvard, you have this 400-year-old school uh, that's the the, uh, the source of case study method. Yeah. And it's not used to being the subject of case study itself, but, you know, it's it's never uh, never too late to um, uh, to give it the old college try. <laughs> yeah, and I think they were dead last. Harvard's number one in a lot of things, dead last in, like, free speech rankings or so, out of, like, 128 schools. Jeff Sonnenfeld, Jimmy Pethokoukas, thank you both very much, guys. Have a good weekend. All right, straight ahead, the FAA giving a major update on the grounding of the Boeing 737-9 MAX jet. We're going to let you know what it is. Plus, coming up fast, the Iowa caucuses are Monday, but how much will the weather alter the outcome? That's right. It's a bonus tomorrow's news tonight for you. The FAA giving an update on the Boeing 737-9 MAX jet. The agency says it is keeping the planes grounded until, quote, extensive inspection and maintenance conducted and data from inspections is reviewed. The FAA first grounded the jets on January 6th after an Alaska Airlines plane lost an exit door plug mid-flight. No word yet on exactly how many more flight cancellations this could cause, but United says they have extended their cancellations through January 16th. At least United and Alaska fly the most of the impacted planes. Meantime, the 2024 presidential race is heating up. Might have heard about that. It's all ahead of Monday's Iowa GOP caucus. With just three days to go, former President Trump still holding a commanding lead, according to a new poll from Suffolk University. Although Nikki Haley has risen to second place ahead of Ron DeSantis. And when it 
comes to the issues, immigration and border security and the economy are top of mind for Iowa caucus goers. More than 60% of all poll respondents listed both as the top issues facing America. Maybe the recent reason for the recent panic around the border. But here's where things could get really unpredictable. Iowa, along with much of the country, is facing dangerously low temperatures. On Monday, raising concern, the weather could keep some Republicans at home and alter the outcome. So ahead of the big day, how are Iowa voters feeling about the economy? Joining us now is Frank Luntz, political strategist and pollster and author of Words That Work. Frank, I, I want to talk to you 100% about the caucuses themselves, but the weather, like I'm not joking, right? The weather could play a role in the results of this. I'm staying a block away from the key hotel. And in that one block, people just want to want to just go to sleep and never wake up again. I've never felt such a chill. Iowans are used to this. Iowans are the toughest Americans, and they they will vote in rain, sleet, snow, hail, everything. They vote in weather that's much tougher than this. However, on Monday, it is predicted to be the coldest caucus day ever in American history, and that is most likely to affect younger voters who don't really care that much about politics and don't want to get cold, and older voters who do so out of health reasons. Younger voters- So who's that, who's that leave? It's a 45-year-old guy with the pickup truck? So who's he voting for? It leaves you, basically, you and I. We're the ones who'll be voting on, if, if we were from Iowa. And registered in a political party, maybe you are. I just want to be clear, I am not, never have been, and never will be. Um, so, but is it going to be then who's going to who would benefit the most if the very the 20 year old is like, eh, and the 75 year old is like, it's just too dangerous. It's too cold. Who then of the candidates would theoretically benefit from that? Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, not the, not the former guy, their, their voters. No, not the former guy. The Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, the voters tend to be middle income, middle age, middle everything. Trump's voters are a little bit older. Vivek Ramaswamy's voters are a little bit younger, and this would be an age issue. I only think this will affect the turnout by maybe two, three, four percent. Not a big deal. This would matter if it's in New Hampshire, which is way too close to call. Iowa, Trump is winning by such a big margin right now. Okay, so we expect the former president to win Iowa. Does it matter by how much he wins, or is it just kind of a convincing win? Enough, and if that were to be the case, that's kind of the expected outcome, but it is politics. What happens to DeSantis and Haley? Uh, Trump needs over 50% of the vote. It's been the rationale for why he didn't debate, that he said that these other candidates shouldn't even be in the race because he's getting more than half the electorate. So he needs to be able to prove it on caucus day. For Haley, her job is to come ahead of DeSantis. And if she does so with all the money that the Florida governor has spent in this state and all the time. One wonders, how does he go to New Hampshire? It will just be a very difficult slot for him with his polling numbers now in single digits in that state. And at this point, with turnout being so important and momentum, it looks like Haley may take the second slot. And you wonder what's going to happen there. Look, uh, to flip the script just a little bit here to... Um... The polls and polls take polls for what they are, Frank. I get it. They were spectacularly wrong in the past. They may be wrong again, but I want to move to the Democratic side because I think the Democrats woke up. They realized suddenly they've got a major border crisis issue. 
It's a major deal, even among registered Democrats and independents. Now they're trying to spin it like this Ukraine bill has something to do with the border. It does not. It may down the road, but it has nothing to do with what has occurred. We saw the president today. He's not doing any interviews. I don't think it's some sort of biased thing to say that he didn't look great. Like, what are the Democrats going to do here, Frank? Well, I watched the debate. I was in the hall, CNN, and they did an excellent job in their effort. And I watched for two hours when Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis went at each other, went at President Trump, challenged Joe Biden. And I thought to myself, how the heck is Joe Biden going to debate these two individuals? Well, he's not. How is he even how is he going to debate Trump? They were so sharp, so articulate, so quick back and forth. Yep. They had jabs. They had. And it was incredible how effective that is. Frank, I know we got to go. Whole... I'm sorry, Frank. And, and Adrian, I know we got to go, but I'm going to but we kill something else down the road if we have to. I, I got to ask Frank this. Frank, here's the thing. Uh, you have better connections in D.C. than I do. I, I talked to somebody, a very good source, about a month ago. I said, what's going to happen in the debates? He said, there's not going to be any debates. This person wouldn't be in a position to know directly, but they would have a pretty good pulse on. I said, you've got to be kidding. Of course there's presidential debates. This is the United States. We would never do that. And they just kind of looked at me and were like, uh-huh, it ain't going to happen. We saw Dick Durbin. I thought this is, I told my producer, Max Myers, the conversation, a couple of other people. I thought, no way. Senator Dick Durbin, the other day, just said, well, Biden should not debate Trump because Trump will then just use the platform to spew extremist garbage. They are laying the groundwork. Are they not? For no possible president. I thought my source was full of garbage. I realize there's a good chance we will never see either the former guy or the current guy get in front of the American people and debate others or each other. You are correct. And let the word go out that this is one of the failings of American democracy right now in 2024. These two candidates owe the American people the chance to watch them in a tough difficult, unscripted environments. And my sources tell me exactly the same as yours do, not just on the Democratic side, but also on the Republican side, that neither candidate wants to debate the other. And what a shame that would be for American democracy. We just need to know on both sides what we're getting. Or maybe they just have their own election, right? And then we just be like, good job, you won. And then we'll have a real election over here. I don't know. Frank Luntz, thank you. All right, coming up, a millionaire mansion tax Bust, a controversial law in L.A. giving a rude awakening to supporters. So why are so many other cities looking to do the same? Stick around. All right, welcome back. Got an update on a story that we covered closely on last call, the million-dollar mansion tax in L.A. It's been kind of a bust. The new tax went into effect last April, creating a 4% tax on properties sold over $5 million and a 5.5% fee on properties over $10 million. Researchers, the experts, projected the tax would bring in around $900 million in revenue, and that's how they sold it. But the tax has only brought in about $142 million, trending to less than $200 million in a year. Remember, the projection was $900. It's under $200. But despite this, other major cities... With terrible fiscal management, like Chicago, are considering adopting similar measures. Let's bring in someone who knows the topic very well. Josh Altman, he is one of the stars of Bravo's Million Dollar Listings LA. Obviously a luxury real estate agent. Josh, I don't think anybody, first off, $200 million, I guess, is better than zero if it goes to the right place. Not a lot of people have sympathy for anyone who can buy or sell a 5 or 10 or $20 million home. But it's kind of a good lesson to politicians out there that when you tax something, you're going to get less of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, you should do what I tell my kids. Do what I say, not what I do. Learn from the mistake that L.A. has made by doing this in many different areas. And first of all, the actual market, the high end luxury real estate market, over five million took such a hit. I see it all day, all day long because my ears to the ground. I'm dealing with these buyers who aren't buying houses anymore. These buyers who, when they sell, they're actually just leaving L.A. They don't want to come back because of this. Uh, we're talking about uh, affordable housing here, which, of course, I'm all for affordable housing, but less is now being built. You got to understand this is not just five or ten million dollar mansions. Yeah. This is multifamily. This is commercial multifamily. How can you do that to that to, to that sector when they're actually building this to make more housing? It's actually doing the complete opposite here. Uh, I would say a couple different things that I would give my advice to Chicago, Santa Fe. Uh, I think Seattle just passed something like this. Number one. Let's actually take a look at this and do it across the board, not just the mansions, not just the five, ten million dollar yeah. mansion. If everybody pays a little, you're going to get a hell of a lot closer to that nine hundred million dollars than the hundred forty two you made because it's a lot fewer people are paying this. That's number one. Number two, let's uh, let's actually do it on profit. So people don't get crushed when they're selling their houses here. Think about this. You bought a house three years ago. You now want to sell it. Chances are, because of the market that we're in right now, you're not going to make money on that house. So now on top of that, you have to lose even more yeah. money. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's, that's a good point. And by the way, people that, that are in this, the people you deal with, Josh, they're savvy. I'm sure there's people that have figured out ways to maybe not, quote, get around it, but they've got lawyers and tax lawyers and, and tax accountants. I kind of like, like your thinking. Are people talking about, and by the way, most tax dollars they collect don't go to the, the, the source. They go to administering whatever program it is, so very little gets to the actual program in need. That said, are, you, are your clients talking about it? They're absolutely talking about it. It has stopped them from moving forward on many different uh, purchases uh, over the past year since April when this has gone into effect. Uh, I'm telling you, it has touched every part of the market. What you just spoke about, remember, these people in the 10, $15 million houses, they employ 100 people. Okay, these developers that build these big houses, they have 100 people that are working for them. All of these people now are going to be out of business, and it's a big trickle-down effect. Uh, 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 somebody had said for one of these uh, groups that have been pushing the measure, they say, it's simple. It's a tiny little tax on these mega mansions. Apparently, they haven't driven around Los Angeles yeah. because every house is about $5 million. We're not talking about the mansions that when you yeah. grow up— Think about, you know, 20 room houses. These are three bedroom houses. These are your grandparents who have lived there, who are about to retire, who are counting on that 5% to go travel the world now that they're retired that they cannot do anymore. That's, a different, <laughs> that's a different issue that a couple bedroom houses, a couple million dollars. But that's L.A., baby. Randy Newman was right. I love L.A. Josh Altman, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Also, send in the lawyers, guns and money. All right, coming up, it's Beat the Books NFL Playoff Edition. Can I keep my win streak going? I'm going to reveal my picks. Plus, the Arctic Freeze gripping ticket prices for what's going to be a big game. You could probably go for free.
That's right, a bonus, bonus TNT for you. We always over-deliver. The New York Post reporting that ESPN and the NFL are in advanced talks on a deal that could give the league an equity stake in ESPN. Post says that a part of the potential deal, ESPN would take control of NFL media, and in return, the NFL would receive equity in ESPN. Discussions between ESPN and the NFL are apparently far enough along that owners of the Playoff Players Association are being informed about the talks. Wow. All right, speaking of the NFL, back by popular demand, or nobody's demand, we just wanted to do it. We're going to do one more segment of Can I Beat the Books? So with the season, I went 33-22-1 against the spread. Not bad. Better than most, I think. Remember, this is all for fun to see if you could actually beat Vegas at its own game two years in a row. Our friend Lisa Kearney of FanDuel could not make it this week. Probably the deep freeze in Kansas City. Who knows? So we're going to have to bust out all these picks alone. I'll just blast through them. Here you go. First up. Packers, plus seven against the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm taking the pack. Most of you probably think that's crazy. Cowboys undefeated at home in like two years. First off, they haven't beaten anybody at home. But this is one of those lines that doesn't seem to make sense. And that's the point. Why is this only seven? On the surface, seems like it should be higher, which always makes me think Vegas knows something. And by the way, the Packers have been hot. And I just think a touchdown is too much. And I think the Packers have a very good chance of winning the game. Not say they will, but I think they could. Game two, Steelers at the Bills. I'm taking Buffalo, minus nine and a half. I usually avoid big lines. It's the NFL. These are all pros. But Pittsburgh is overmatched. Buffalo's defense, finally healthy. By the way, like kind of a traitor, this game opened at minus 10, which is a pretty good way to gauge what Vegas really think. It came down. It's nine and a half. But Vegas initially thought 10 is where you're going to find the, the sweet spot. And pick number three in the super cold bowl, I'm going with the warm weather loving Dolphins, plus four and a half over the Chiefs. People are making too much of the cold. Again, these are pros. Miami almost beat Buffalo last year and dropped 31 on them in go- Buffalo. It wasn't as cold, but it was still very, very cold. The Chiefs, by the way, they're not what they were. The offense has been gutted. And Dolphins running back, Raheem Mostert, is expected to play. Not saying the Dolphins are going to win, but four and a half. It's just way too much in Kansas City. Programming note, you can catch that game tomorrow night on the Peacock. It is the first ever exclusively live-streamed Playoff game. If you do not have Peacock, you cannot watch the game. So go get Peacock. And there you go. Packers plus seven, Bills minus nine and a half, Dolphins plus four and a half. Tell me where I'm wrong. All right. If you are going to that Chiefs-Dolphins game, you better, like, bundle up or just don't go. It's going to be really, really, really cold. In fact, the wind chill could hit minus 23 degrees. If that holds, it would be one of the coldest NFL games ever. And, like, the forecast, you know what else is dropping fast? Ticket prices. Let's talk more about what is going on in Kansas City. Joining us is Joe Hernandez, reporter for the Kansas City Star. Hey, Joe, actually one of my good friends, Jeff and Jelaine and all the kids. Hi, Jeff. How are you in in Kansas City? Uh, And Scott and Mike watching as well. Live in Kansas City. And I said to him, dude, are you going to go to the game? His kids are big Chiefs fans because the ticket prices are falling. He said, my friends are getting tickets for free. I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that. I was checking tickets uh, earlier today, and they're in, like, the 30s. Like, I've seen some as low as 35, and that's all around. It's Ticketmaster. It's Vivid Seats, StubHub, Tickets for Less. You name it, this is the cheapest I've ever seen. I've seen since maybe the first game I've ever gone to in 2013. How cold is it now, and how cold uh, is it expected to be? I mean, like, if you walked outside right now, what's going to happen? Um, you're going to walk, you're going to turn around and go back inside. <laughs> that's why they're not the game. <laughs> I have not left the apartment since Sunday. It's that cold here. And it's going to get worse. 
Uh, you know, listen, it's bad. The football, it's going to be hard to kick. It's going to be hard to catch. It's going to be hard to throw. I know it's going to sound nuts, and I'm still going to call it Arrowhead, by the way. Sorry about that. I know it's Giha or whatever, G-E-H-A Stadium. Is it possible, Joe, that there's actually empty seats in the stadium on Sunday? Or Saturday night, excuse uh, me. Yes, I think it's possible. I don't think it'll happen. I know fans will, like, come out in droves. They'll see those ticket prices at a low price. They'll maybe, they'll consider, you know what? We should do it. Once in a lifetime, you'll never see ticket prices this low, I think, anytime soon. The Chiefs, despite the down year, I think they're still really good. And I I don't I don't anticipate it. You don't like you don't like my dolphins pick then. I know you heard it. That's why that's why I see that's why you, you like trying to drop your zoom feed, Joe, I think. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave the comments to the experts at that we have at the star, but yeah. I have a I'm not saying the Dolphins are gonna win, but I'm just saying the Chiefs, you know, you gotta admit, Joe, they're not as good as they were at least the last few weeks. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. They're not as good as they once were, but Playoffs or playoffs, maybe they're saving their best stuff for now. We shall see. Like I said, I know you and some of my good friends are rooting definitely for the Red, for the Chiefs. Joe Hernandez, rooting for you to stay warm, stay safe. Appreciate you joining us on Last Call. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, folks, let's wrap it up with this. Do you know what happened 60 years ago today? Mr. Amazon, Jeff Bezos, was born. Bezos was actually born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ironically, that was the original founding city of a company called Microsoft as well. Who knew? At 30 years old, Bezos founded Amazon from a garage with an old door as his first desk. No one thought an online bookseller would make it, but I'm told it worked out. Bezos is the third richest person in the world behind Elon Musk and French billionaire Bernard Arnault. Bezos worth nearly $178 billion. And here's something, dare we say, Random, but interesting. If Bezos were a nation, and who says he's not, it would be the 58th richest state in the world. It would edge out Hungary's GDP by more than half a billion dollars. So happy birthday, Mr. Jeff Bezos. Hopefully you're on your giant sailing yacht somewhere enjoying it. That's it for the weekend, folks. We will see you back here on Tuesday. Be well. American Greed is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.